0: Welcome to a new episode of Red Envelope. This is the series where we highlight innovative trends across Asia and discuss how innovation in the East and the West share uh, themes and synergies. I'm extremely delighted to have Rafiuddin Shiko join us from Dubai. He's the founder and CEO of Dinar Standard, a specialized market research and advisory firm. Rafiuddin has led thought leadership and strategies on innovation thereby empowering Islamic economies for global impact. Since 2008, Rafiuddin has been advising global multinationals, financial institutions, startups, and NGOs on market expansion analysis, business investment strategies, and innovative marketing strategies as well. Uh, Rafi also serves as a director at Goodforce Labs, a startup foundry focused on building global ethical economy startups with strong financial and social impact. Thanks, Rafi, for making time and joining us today. Thank you, my pleasure. Okay, so tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your journeys that led to Goodforce Labs and uh, Dinah Standard. How do you think they complement each other?
1: Sure, well, first of all, I'm delighted to be uh, on this podcast. It's my very first podcast ever, so uh, that's pretty cool. Um, In terms of my journey towards uh, Dinar Standard and Good Force Labs, I grew up in uh, the region here. I grew up in Oman, and and after my early education, I came to U.S. and settled, uh, had my education and had been uh, working as a management consultant. doing strategy e-business strategy work and uh, other uh, innovation and knowledge management related consulting work Um, so past 30 years i've been in uh, u.s and uh, so so the journey to the north standard with my professional background in strategy was uh, 9 11 happened and as it has impacted many of us it also had a big impact on me personally um and at that time i was in boston doing strategy consulting work and having worked with fortune 500 companies and before that with uh uh, smaller uh, sme uh uh, companies um uh, figured out the art of creating global uh innovations and brands and was able to see how you know multinationals or big corporates or startups from within us Ecosystem were able to become global success stories. So post 9-11 one of the questions that uh, Was really personally affecting me was what is the role of? uh, These countries, you know where I originally uh, Grew up in um, my original background is uh, from Pakistan and uh, you know, like I said, I grew up in Oman Uh, and so this uh, This this question of the what has been the contribution of that part of the world to the world, uh, especially when it comes to business and and impact. So, um, you know, we all see, and I'm a firm believer, having gone through my educational professional experience, uh, I'm a firm believer in the power of brands and the power of corporate sector in terms of uh, uh, its role and impact in societies and communities and economies and so with that back with that context of the 9-11 question that i mentioned to you i observed this was an observation that really got me on the track of starting the NAR standard i observed that when you look at the top 100 global innovations or top 100 global brands rankings inter-brand and other rankings the top rankings i was shocked to find that not one brand came from any of those uh, countries and uh, when I say those meaning uh, in this case the uh, you could say Muslim majority or Islamic economies um, not only the years I looked at but in the recent past century there has never been one global top 100 innovation or brand uh, as per the global rankings uh, from any of those countries and that to me was a shocking. Uh, realization. How can you have almost a quarter of the world's population, they have oil, they have land, agriculture, and and when we talk about these uh, uh, economies or countries, we're we're talking as diverse as Indonesia or Turkey or Malaysia, obviously Saudi Arabia, UAE, Egypt, you know, there are about 57 Muslim-majority countries in the world today. And uh, the population is uh, around 1.7 billion people with all types of natural resources and, and talent pool and so forth. So that personally hit me. And I really, with my professional background, obviously bringing what I was good at, wanted to look at what uh, my, my thesis was, there must be some unique challenges. And, and in, in evaluating that, I launched this uh, a project I call Dinar Standard. And the thesis there was uh, that there must be some unique challenges Um, um, But also there must be some unique opportunity. So as I launched Dinar Standard first as a business magazine online, I started researching based uh, in a similar way that I see the corporate or the business world today at that point. And and I launched a ranking called DS100, Dinar Standard Top 100, looked at businesses that were domiciled or from these OIC or these uh, Muslim-majority countries to understand what do they actually have if they don't have have any in top 100 um that really uh got uh, right away the economist magazine covered that r- ranking all major media in turkey indonesia malaysia saudi they all covered that ranking and i was hit with so many requests and this i was doing it you know from the, from my home as a hobby just to explore so i realized there was some uh, i was onto something when there was tremendous interest fast forward I built, that, uh, I built that curiosity into strong thought leadership and research around these markets. And in 2008, uh, uh, I started getting requests for Dinar uh, Standard's uh, research-based advisory, given strong depth in those markets. So I, from 2008 till today, Dinar Standard has now become, as uh, Arun you uh, introduced, a, a, a consultancy that first focused on these markets, bringing unique perspectives on what uh, are some unique challenges in them becoming innovators and global innovators, um, to also realizing that the there was a wider theme to what uh, we had uh, stepped on, which was the role of why innovations are not happening, not just in these economies, but in the developing economies. Uh, and so, so that's been a, a focus of the, our standard as a consultancy is how in these developing economies, with a special focus on Islamic economies, because there are some unique uh, or uh, unique pieces and opportunities there and unique challenges there, but also in developing context. And how does it translate to innovation? both unique innovation, innovations that can contribute and solve to the world's problems, but also obviously uh, to a lot of the challenges that are unique to that, these parts of the, of, of the world. And so that's where the North Standard has uh, been making its impact. Uh, we've been working with governments on policies. Uh, we've been working with investment firms and um, sovereign wealth funds on investment strategies. We've been working with industry players um, and now, also widening our our work in the social impact and social impact on uh, uh, enterprise space, um, I see uh, in our developing work a very strong connection between all three areas: innovation, uh, trends worldwide uh, it 's linked to the opportunities in terms of the social needs um, we 've been when you look at for example uh, Uh, the SDG goals and the SDG that that are have now galvanized the world around. Um, A lot of the social areas, uh, if you look at the ranking of countries that are suffering, interestingly, um, you would usually see, uh, let's take, you know, obesity or any of the actually uh, uh, ask the poverty and so forth, or health related or education related. A lot of these uh, Islamic countries are actually uh, worse off than most uh, countries a- on average. So, so, so as a general thesis, a lot of these countries are actually um, uh, a big recipient of uh, requiring innovation and corporate uh, activity to drive uh, you know, solving problems. So, uh, so with that, we also wanted to have some startups that we could uh, ourselves, besides the consultancy, actually help solve certain select problems. And that's where Good Force Labs, the idea for Good Force Labs came up, uh, where we wanted to uh, really take on as a venture builder, uh, because of our expertise in certain sectors that we had built the past 10 years as a consultancy, we wanted to, we had a clear view of there are certain areas where we can certainly build some enterprises that can become global, but from this part of the world and solve for global level problems. So that's uh, how we ended. I mean, Good Force Lab is a newer venture we just launched earlier last year. And uh, we're still going through some rounds of pivoting ourselves, but uh, we've we've had tremendous learning in terms of uh, where social entrepreneurship can go from the region here in particular.
2: It's fascinating um, you know to, to hear about how, how you started um, and it actually ties into something that you know we focus on um, in our podcast is around impact investing um, that, that was what one of the areas that you mentioned um, in the narrow standard. Um, so what are some of your key, key takeaways, if you will, around impact investing? It seems to be you know, one of the hot topics as of late.
1: Sure. Uh, We're actively, you know, as you said, it is a hot hot topic and certainly the SDGs have further galvanized. And with the UN Global uh, Compact and other uh, initiatives, uh, you know, the private sector and the uh, corporates and the investment community is also actively uh, looking at, has been looking at this impact investing is is a quite uh, maturing space in Europe and US in particular. Uh, so, so we, with our focus on this part of the world, we're re- really looking at how where we can add value when it comes to uh, impact investing Theo. and. Um, And and how can the private enterprise or um, uh, can can play a significant role, or investments can play a significant role in addressing social needs? So our learnings first of all, foremost is you know you you as any venture builder or any uh, strategist, you first start with where are the problems? What's the problem statement when you come to social impact? And obviously the 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 core of the need is prioritizing the prioritizing social needs so one of the things we've done is we've mapped a, a social impact heat map of where are the social uh, challenges across the uh, this part of the world in the wider global world and uh, of course under UN and other agencies variety of you know priorities have been identified we've kind of gotten deeper in it Um, so from, to answer your question, you know, what, what are some of the unique things we're bringing to the table or we're looking at that we think we can help contribute to this global movement? Um, one is, uh, when you look at the SDG goals in, you know, from a manual hierarchy of needs point of view, a lot of these SDGs are focused on basic needs, you know, the first, uh, parts of the of the pyramid uh, whereas uh, you know the higher aspects of Maslow's hierarchy you of know, self-actualization if you look at the core of SDGs um, they focus more on the basic needs. Now most certainly a lot of those SDGs do affect and, and enable uh, the upstream uh, of the you know self-actualization or other needs that uh, we as humans have but we've identified certain areas we think that are important that we wanted to focus on uniquely so to give you uh, an example um, uh, one of the thesis that it's unique and and it plays to the strength of this part of the world or Eastern culture as you could uh, if we can further genericize it uh, is around family strengthening family lives so one of the um, unique aspects of uh, you know the Islamic culture, and I'd say you know, generally most cultures and most societies, but in a very strong way, uh, Eastern cultures is these, the, the importance of a strong family lives. Now, when we look at um, the, how uh, a broken family affects a society, uh, we have research that shows that you know, broken families or uh, families that are not strong have an effect on society and, and their economies. So so if we go with the thesis that a strong family unit contributes to a strong economy and contributes to a strong society, uh, we don't see much social entrepreneurship happening proactively in strengthening family lives. There's a lot of, you know, counseling, reactive solutioning, but not proactive, especially social entrepreneurship, meaning... Uh, how do you solve for strengthening family lives in a profitable way? So that's an area Good Force Lab has taken on that we're very excited about, uh, and, and we think that's a unique contribution. And we have, um, we have thought leadership that's coming out around it. We're going to be focusing on startups that will be focusing on that in particular. Uh, so, Theo, that's you know that's an aspect of sort of some of our learning in this space. The other thing is we are um, – Uh, producing a uh, thought leadership around what we're calling the global ethical economy, because when we talk about social impact um, or social entrepreneurship, in our case of Good Force Labs, um, you know, we're not, we are obviously talking about the spectrum where we're not talking about philanthropy or NGOs, right? We're talking about how do you affect social, address big social problems profitably, right? And so in that context, one of the things we feel needs to be addressed much strongly um, is the motive, what motivates social uh, investments or social entrepreneurship. And um, we have identified four key motivators, if I can just quickly just at least headline them. So one is uh, what's driving social entrepreneurship. One is ethical consumption trends. So when you look at you know the variety of studies now you know from uh, Pew to uh, Nielsen and others showing that ethical consumerism, especially by millennials and Gen uh, Zs and Gen Ys, is is a very strong motivator for uh, for businesses to go towards and you know uh, uh, focusing on social. So that's a motivator that needs to be acknowledged and and focused on. Uh, second is there is a very basic fundamental profit making from the ethical market. So when you look at SDG goals, UNCTAD estimated, uh, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but you know, multi uh, uh, trillion dollar business opportunity in the ethical market space, sustainable products, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that also has to be acknowledged. So there is, this is a money-making uh, uh, Opportunity that will motivate certain uh, entrepreneurs or certain investors. The third area uh, is governments whose regulations. So through their variety of government driven ethical or uh, sustainability related regulation. That's also another motivator that is an opportunity for startups and entrepreneurs or investors to look at those regulatory trends that creates um, you know motivates people to go into that space of social impact investment and entrepreneurship and finally the fourth one then perhaps the most unique one from our point of view is faith-based motivators and so when you look at uh, in this part of the world I'm in Dubai and I you know I talked started to talk to uh, I start my discussion around our work in the Islamic economy space but uh, faith is a big economic driver uh, in the Islamic economy. So we talk about Islamic finance as a space that uh, much of the world is now coming to hear about. It's one of the fastest growing financial services space with an underpinning to ethical value. So Islamic finance, whose underlying ethos is just and equitable financing, fair um, uh, fair financing, is a very interesting model. But uh, my point of the fourth motivator was it is a faith-driven uh, economic uh, enabler and that by the way is not just within financial services sector but within the Islamic uh, what we call the halal lifestyle economy space So, when you look at food uh, travel tourism as well clothing modest fashion uh, and, and other aspects sustainable tourism so forth so and and in particular we, we're broadening it to faith-based because we see similar um, uh, motivators from you know uh, the faith-based group uh, other faiths such as christianity hinduism jewish uh, who all have very strong values driven consumption motivation so so those are some of the things that here that uh, uniquely we are seeing uh, we're both learning and hopefully we are contributing
2: We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore and innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us.
0: Thanks for that, Rafi. Um, I think I think one of the questions I had was how do you compare um, the East and the West when it came to um, impact uh, impact or social entrepreneurship? I think you've kind of uh, touched upon that. So I have one one question. So when I was researching um, about uh, Good Force Labs, um, I came upon women uh, empowerment and entrepreneurship in the Middle East. Um, so I'll be very uh, very keen to understand uh what you're doing in that space and uh what's your experiences around it sure
1: so we're as i mentioned good Force lab is a a new venture a new project um because it's focused on um addressing and we've selected four verticals of social impact areas based on our uh, our strengths our ability to contribute and, and build some solutions as well as no uh, mapping the social needs of the region, uh, so sector wise it 's food uh, we're, we're, we have a whole uh, spec- a few specific areas under food uh, financial inclusion uh, financial, under financial services, financial inclusion and financial literacy uh, we 're looking at education, and then there's some areas uh, what we term lifestyle under which this family strengthening family life comes. Uh, but across the board, there is uh, the very uh, obvious uh, uh, social uh, area that needs to be addressed, which is women empowerment. Um, and, you know, when you look at the demographic of this part of the world, uh, a big part of the workforce, big part of the obviously the, the society uh, uh, being women are not as engaged as contributors to the uh, to the economy um, and the economies, or addressing social uh, um, aspects as well. So, uh, so part of our effort or focus is encouraging um, and engaging women uh, and, and uh, f- uh, to be involved in such entrepreneurship, highlighting success stories, uh, even within our. Uh, a set of startups that we're identifying. We're very conscious of having women founders um, and, and startups that are have a very strong mix. Um, the exciting thing about the region is there is a lot of vibrancy in terms of women being involved and leading. Uh, startups, especially when they, uh, as it relates to social entrepreneurships, uh, so social areas um, of impact. Uh, so, so, so there is a thriving, uh, um, you know, a momentum around women uh, empowerment in the region here in the Gulf, you know, Saudi Arabia and UAE in particular that I personally see, and that's very exciting. Um, and and wider in the region, you know, we're talking about a gen- generally a demographic that's young. Um, Within the Islamic economies, the average age is 24 uh, relative to a global average of 32. So, you know, and and we've heard about the young, you know, the demographic dividend. And and it is generally the case within many of the developing economies in this part of the world. But um, you know, part of uh, part of that uh, demographic are uh, definitely young, young girls, uh, women. You know, in terms of their early schooling, and there is disparity. There is a gap. There's a big gap. So from us, you know, and it's, there's a SDG goal uh, that fits very much squarely under uh, relating to women empowerment. So, so we're, um, I think it's right now our focus is, is just, uh, building awareness and, and as a small platform to identify and, and highlight those success stories and, and also provide a platform for, uh, support, uh, on, in terms of their own, um, growth.
2: That's good to hear because I think, you know, in general, regardless of, of what regions and demographics, if you will, empowering women um, and, you know, giving them opportunities to thrive is, is important, not just to up, uplift the women or their families, but also societies in general. So we would, we would be keen to hear more in the future. Um, so switch gears a little bit. Um, sure. You talked a little bit about Islamic finance. You know, that that's also seems to be another up, up and booming area. We actually had a, a recent discussion with someone else as well in Islamic finance. And he mentioned that in the UK, for example, in particular, Europe um, is one of the fast growing, I guess, because of awareness and whatnot. But overall in general, there's a lot of opportunities everywhere. So from your perspective, if you have a crystal ball, Um, What are your predictions for Islamic finance over the course of the next few years? And what are some of the interesting areas um, and work being done in this space?
1: Sure. So, um, so, so the Islamic finance space. So when you look at, you know, uh, everything ultimately is driven by uh, the consumer demographic and the market uh, dynamic and demand cycle, right? So just from the, sheer population point of view, um, you know, 1.6 billion people, um, and finance is one of the areas that is uniquely affected by uh, uh, the religious uh, teachings. So the, the products, and this is actually how we defined the Islamic lifestyle economy or sectors. People ask us, okay, how do you define what is this thing? And uh, we produce an annual report called State of the Global Islamic Economy, and it's freely available. It's a very detailed annual review of um, six major sectors, uh, finance, Islamic finance, halal food, travel, modest fashion, uh, media recreation, pharma, cosmetics. And we basically do a full uh, analysis of uh, the actual activity monetarily that's happening in these sectors. What are the trends, uh, Theo, to your point, also what are the developing uh, trends uh, in terms of what's the future? So, so it's with that context that you have to see what's happened, why and what is happening in Islamic finance. It's a wider uh, uh, consumer driver around faith-based consumerism, right? So the same, uh, things that are driving Islamic finance are driving halal food, which you may be familiar on the streets of Washington D.C., New York, and London, where you know we're all familiar with um, the halal food, uh, you know, carts and 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 uh, you know, restaurants, etc. Uh, modest fashion is becoming a globally recognized uh, segment of fashion, Dolce & Gabbana and many others, uh, Macy's and Debenham, they're all actually produced, Nike producing lines both for mainstream uh, women who want to practice and choose uh, modest fashion. Uh, So so this is a wider market uh, development, and I would say it's underpinned by an ethical economy trend. So when we talk about Islamic finance and what's coming, Uh, You know, it's 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 with that number one that consumer drive uh, from the core market of Muslim consumers and Muslim investors. So a lot of Islamic capital that uh, worldwide is of interest to investors worldwide. Uh, But also, it's under underlying uh, premise which is ethical. Finance and, and so the wider responsible finance or global uh, impact investment space. There's a lot of overlap, and we see uh, ESG funds that are also being Islamically um, uh, compliant, or or there's an overlap between those, uh, uh, and and there's a very strong connectivity. So so today uh, the total side of uh, size of assets under management in terms of Islamic finance is around 2.4 trillion dollars. We projected to grow to 3.8 by 2023. And again, the state of the Global Islamic Economy Report details a lot of this uh, that uh, I'm just highlighting. Uh, But in terms of uh, the trends, what's what's exciting in the Islamic finance space in particular is uh, this uh, the role of technology. So, uh, you know, the global trends in fintech very much... Are mirroring um, what's happening in the Islamic and what we're calling now the Islamic fintech space. Um, in fact, uh, in just the startup ecosystem of Islamic fintech, we've uh, tracked about you know uh, over. $12 million of investment that just happened last year um, across from Indonesia, Singapore, here in GCC, to even in the, um, uh, as, as uh, Theo, you were saying, in UK, the, the people that you had spoken to. Um, so, um, and so Islamic, fi- Islamic fintech in, in all aspects of fintech you know, globally, you know, from payment uh, solutions to peer to peer funding. Uh, and in most interestingly, in the social finance space, uh, we just did a project, for example, for uh, under our, you know, our standard consultancy for UNHCR. And uh, a lot of the global uh, bodies, uh, international multilateral bodies like UNHCR, World Food Program, Um, UNDP even World Bank are looking at Islamic finance as a major source of social finance for the world and so for UNHCR they just uh, last uh, few weeks ago launched a major uh, zakat fund for zakat for refugees fund uh, recognizing that a big number uh, of <clears throat> refugees around the world are zakat eligible zakat is by the way a you know an obligatory uh charity that muslims have to give about 2.5% from their annual wealth and so it's and and the pool we have sized based on our research is over $70 billion is how much Zakat money is given today, uh, but where is it being channeled? Could it be effectively channeled towards a uh, variety of social needs from food, refugees, poverty, education, etc.? cetera? Uh, uh, this is a great area that um, a lot of the zakat goes to today, but uh, the global uh, bodies are also now interested in tapping into. So, so we see social finance, fintech, through fintech as a great means where uh, Islamic finance will play a global role. Uh, we also see in terms of where Islamic finance is going is, it's it's, and, and this is partially aspirational, and partially, we do see things happening. Uh, the aspirational is we see Islamic finance playing a major role in the global ethical or impact investment space um, and funds space, ethical funds space. Um, uh, so sukuk's, which are an Islamic form of bonds issuance, they're now also social sukuk's and social bonds, such as green bonds that exist. And so, so the, the opportunity of... Um, Uh, Aspirationally, Islamic finance, which is today, as I said, over $2 trillion under assets and management to contribute to social finance space worldwide, as well as uh, through uh, fintech, uh, uh, a fact that I didn't mention earlier, uh, almost 72% of the Muslim population worldwide is unbanked. So from a financial inclusion point of view, the role of Islamic fintech in addressing Uh, the unbanked uh, within the Islamic core markets is another big area. So these are just some of the areas, uh, and and there's, you know, uh, uh, quite a few other things, but I think for our discussion purposes, a couple of areas to highlight.
0: That's great, Rafi. Um, we discussed several social themes, uh, from um, ethical consumption-based uh, um, economies to faith-based, um, women empowerment, refugees, uh, uh, zakat funds, and so on. If there were two key social changes you would like to see happen, um, what what would be the what what would be your pick?
1: So you know, Arun and Theo, with your the, the podcast series, you know, there's been a theme of how innovation, uh, global innovations, uh, can intersect with the global social needs and social entrepreneurship and so forth. And I've seen that as a as a common theme, as uh, and I've heard from you as well. Um, we did a a global. Uh, benchmarking uh, or a global report on (laughs) quite a daring uh, work uh, on projecting how governments will need to prepare themselves in the next 50 years. So I'll answer your, the first, you know, the first of the two are based on that very uh, research-based assessment of where the priority of needs are. So we identified, you know, what are all the various, as you said, Arun, you know, we touched on many social uh, areas and obviously SDGs cover a whole, the full suite of social needs that the world as a world we face today. Um, but when we, we roll them up to what are the major global megatrends, there were two megatrends we identified in terms of the long term, you know, 50 years out that the world has to really start preparing for, especially governments have to really start preparing for. One of them um, is climate change. Um, And the other one is the impact of jobs uh, as a result of automation and automation, all sorts of automation. You know, obviously, we talk about AI and robotics, et cetera. But those are the two big megatrends that we had concluded that's going to really uh, that that are the true uh, major trends that the world and governments especially have to address now uh, uh, because of the severe impact it's going to have in the next 50 years. Uh, I don't need to uh, share with uh, discuss with you. You all know you know the the perils of climate change, uh, especially when we're talking twenty, thirty, forty years out. So if there are two uh, global social change that I would love to see is how we can really uh, galvanize um, and strengthen uh, the momentum around uh, reducing um, uh, you know, climate uh, uh, negative uh, carbon footprint and uh, negative sustainability aspects such that we can really truly save um, the very obvious, ominous, and coming to us uh, impact of climate change. So I think that's, uh, that's one area would be my personal um, area. The second one is one that I touched, uh, uh, and this is more of a personal Uh, One uh, that I'd highlighted earlier around strengthening family lives uh, through social entrepreneurship. I feel like this is an area that uh, uh, requires more attention uh, than it uh, gets
0: today. Wow. Okay. Uh, I, I definitely didn't expect climate change to be on that list, honestly but when you started saying 30 to 40 years down the line i thought it was coming and um but but uh, automation and jobs uh, that was a surprise um mm-hmm. i did expect the family uh, strengthening aspect though so uh, <laughs> that was predictable i mean coming from um, india i i totally get it because uh, broken families cost a lot to the economy totally and i'm i'm not sure i've seen any um, major research around that trophy. I mean uh, exactly. I don't know if you exactly yeah, it's, it's and surprising. that's exactly why
1: yeah that's exactly why we've you know we we this is where we felt with everything that around the world uh, with the focus on various aspects of social needs we felt this was an area we can help contribute so uh, we plan to have a thought leadership piece out on bench you know on on sizing this this challenge and and looking at what are the solutions today, where are the gaps, and where we could further take it, again from a point of view of profitable entrepreneurship addressing this
0: this need. So, but yes, Arun, there isn't much uh, on, yeah. on 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 this. And, and and funnily enough, I'm I'm not generally a note taker during podcast recording sessions. It's generally Theo who does the notes. I've actually done three pages of notes for the first time ever.
2: <laughs> yeah, so that means you can you can write the next block, Arun. <laughs> uh,
0: absolutely, I've got so much to write about. Though uh, this is this is the benefits of actually interviewing someone who's got the research background. Is you you just get keep getting data, 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 and overflow of data. So thanks yeah. so much for that.
2: And I echo. Um, I actually started looking through the report that you mentioned. Uh, Review the state of global Islamic economy. It's it's very very. Um, thoughtful, well-written, just tons and mountains of data. And we'll tweet the link out when uh, when we Thank publish you. the podcast. It's, it's a very, very good thorough read. Thank
1: you. And you'll see on our website, Dinar Standard, a couple of other, all, again, freely available reports, the one I mentioned about UNHCR. We have one on Islamic FinTech, by the way, as well. Um, and uh, a
0: few other topics you'll see uh, all available from our website too. And please, please do tag me on social media when you launch some of your research reports. It'll be, it'll be great to understand where, where, the, where the world is going in that space. Our
1: pleasure. And look forward to continuing to learn from your podcast as well. Congratulations. I'm fascinated by um, the podcast series and what you do at Green Shores and
0: look forward to talking to you separately on those. Uh, Absolutely. We should, we should definitely have a chat. Great. And thanks for making time today. Thank you, guys.